0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast.
2: Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: Spooky, I'm Johnny. And I'm Tyler and this is a weekly podcast that asks the question, what if Carrie was showered with support instead of pig's blood? She could have opened up a really lucrative (laughs) construction company or become like a large animal vet. (laughs) A large animal vet. She could have helped roll over the sick elephants. Yeah, I would love to imagine Carrie just like birthing a baby rhino. Wouldn't (laughs) that be so sweet? She could have used her powers for good, girl. She could have moved marble. (laughs) I mean like that takes
4: a crew. Oh yeah, she could have cleaned windows like a skyscraper yeah carrie could recreate the fucking
0: pyramids in one day with her mind that's the tea so lesson learned support your freaks yeah, support your psychic children. <laughs> so I guess we're just going to get into it. Two minutes of Drag Race?
4: Yes, Mama. One, two minutes of Drag Race. Season 11, episode two. I appreciate how into it you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, high points, low points? Okay, high points for me is exactly kind of what I would hope would happen. So going back to last week when we talked about episode one and we are talking about Silky being extra, well, this week we got some context to her extraness. I loved the moment when RuPaul was interviewing her about being extra because the other queens were kind of talking smack behind her back saying how she was loud and she wasn't a team player she was just seeking camera time and all this stuff and then she was like I'm going to do business when it's time for business but when it's time
0: for pleasure I'm going to have pleasure and it's like yes that is a philosophy girl 100% yeah I'm totally there with you I really appreciated how she came through in this episode I would have to say that my high point is well mm, everyone Baby Evie, oddly, she did so well this week.
4: She turned it out in every way. She
0: changed the register of my voice. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. It was flawless. Like the challenge, the runway, the entertainment, but right? heads with people. Like, yeah, give it to me. She brought the drama and she called out the shit, and that is what I'm here for. Yeah, I started engraving her name on the back of that fucking crown. By the way, I just want to give honorable high points shout out to Miss Vanjie. Oh my God, yes. Just an absolute... Vision. She was insane. I loved it. In that acting challenge where she was doing dorky. Yeah, they're like, do dorky dad. And she just does it like a cigar smoking baby. It was <laughs> yeah. fucking fantastic. I, I'm here for it. It was so good. All right, so low points.
4: So low point for me would have have to have been Nina. I feel very much like Tyra Banks yelling at Tiffany with this. Like, I want so badly for Nina to do really well. And she's got the personality. She acted well but she looked a mess on the runway. A mess mama what was that that dress that lion decal that looked like something that would be on the back of a like pickup truck oh. what it was I know I was and I, I don't
0: want it to be true no, but it's not true it's true it's not true she's She. I think she's too wonderful she is she's amazing I know I just want to see it a little bit more <laughs> I know but you know what you're seeing who she is when those acting challenges come out and like not every queen has to be a runway queen but yeah I Get what you mean. Yeah, like being good at Drag Race is different than being a great drag queen. And yep. like, she's a fucking phenomenal drag queen, but she's just not necessarily showing what we're hoping for on Drag Race. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just know she could do so well. She's so good. There's still time. I would have to say that my low point was. I didn't really know how to feel about watching a group of predominantly white people do a parody of Black Panther. Yeah, I mean, like it's not for me to say how problematic it was or was not. I'm definitely interested in hearing those points, though, and I feel like there should be space for those conversations to be had. But the big part of it is that you could have done that parody and had it be successful, but it had to be really, really, really fucking well written. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like. Like, if you don't listen to Drag Race, basically all of the drag queens got split into a team. One of them did a parody of Get Out. Another one did a parody of Black Panther. The deal is the Get Out parody was super well written and it stood alone as a funny skit. Yes. But the Black Panther one, though, you know, it's referential, blah, blah, blah. But it just wasn't as well written and flushed out and it didn't really stand on its two legs as much. And if it's going to be a bunch of white queens doing a parody of Black Panther, then it just needs to kind of be bulletproof. To yeah. be funny. Yeah. So it's a slippery slope. But anyway, it was a great episode. I'm happy with it. Yes, Looking mate. forward to episode three. Yes, me. All right. Well, that was the gay part of Spooky Gay Bullshit. Do you have something spooky? I do. And I think you mentioned to me that it's also kind of bullshit. It's a lot of bullshit, mama. Can't
4: wait. Okay. So have you ever heard of Universal Medicine? No, it sounds like Big Pharma kind of shit. <laughs> it's not. They're actually a cult. What? Yeah, I had never heard of them before, but essentially they are a cult that have been accused of being socially harmful. So in a civil court in Australia in December 2018, the cult leader Serge ben was found guilty of false claims about healing practices. Oh. Yeah. So basically he has used forms of what they describe as sexual manipulation on his followers, basically saying that breast massages have healing properties. What? Mm-hmm. He has also Told his followers that burping excessively helps to ward off evil spirits. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay, I see you. Right. You're a to little f- fetishist in disguise. Right. To further the fact that they're just a fucking cult, many of the followers have been encouraged to shun their loved ones who will not join the cult. So, pretty standard stuff. Yeah, very culty. But anyway, this guy is like a millionaire and he lives in Australia. And they were operating at a Australia, but I guess because of this civil suit, they have had a lot of heat on them in Australia. Mm-hmm. So the group has now started meeting in a bed and breakfast called the Lighthouse B&B, and that is over in the UK in Somerset. So it seems like the, the group is moving. Exactly. So also this guy, Serge Benhayon, apparently he claims to be the reincarnation of Leonardo da Vinci. No, ma'am. Mama. No. No. Also, his response to all of this media attention and the fact that he had the civil lawsuit, he basically is claiming that he is a victim of a media witch hunt that wants to expose him as a cult leader, which he claims not to be, even though there are many family members that have said that they have family members that have joined the cult who they have now been, like, exiled from. Mm -hmm. Like, one woman was, like, 12 years old when her mother joined the cult, and she just started burping a bunch and then just eventually just distanced herself further further and further and further and further away from their family to the fact that they're just, like, estranged now. The daughter is just like, I can't do anything to stop this. Like, she's just, she won't leave this cult. She won't talk to me. She won't stop burping. She won't stop burping. I've just given up.
0: Girl, no, no. Get out. Right?
4: Oh, Get out. It's a cult. Mama, leave. And, I mean, members are also apparently told, like, what to eat, when to sleep, who to communicate with, and it's all going down in Somerset
0: right now, Mama. So, if you're in Somerset, be really careful they're climbing in your windows they're snatching your people up trying to convert them to their dumbass cult and i just want to say right now you are reading that from another source right that is this isn't just us sitting here running our mouths i'm just saying legally speaking hello we borrowed this car it is not ours if there is any fingerprints on it it is because of who it is because of Mirror.co.uk and the BBC. Mirror.co.uk and the BBC. It's all them. It's not us. Just because you're a rich cult leader who has a thing for burps, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. But holy fuck. This alleged cult
4: that allegedly burps, that allegedly alienates people from their family, is allegedly
0: dangerous. Mm-mm, we remember Heaven's Gate from a few episodes ago. Everything was chill till the hale comet popped up one day. And then suddenly they weren't just a little harmless alienated cult anymore. That's the tea, mama. And it Mm -hmm. seems like
4: we're kind of at that day of an age now. You saw it happen quite a few times in the 90s. You saw it happen in the 70s. Now you're seeing it happen again, where these little cults that have been like really quiet for decades and decades, all of a sudden have followers, have maybe some financial backing. And now they're just like out and loud. And you're just like hearing about all these weird cults that we'd never heard about before, but that have been apparently operating for like decades. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just hide in plain sight. That's it. So, fuck. Yeah, universal medicine. I had not
0: heard about it before. No, mama. If anyone asks you if you want universal medicine, you say no. No. You say my life coaches, Johnny and Tyler, said no. No, 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 no.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Just like Mariah Carey says, that's a no, no. All right. Well, that's terrifying. Thank you. yeah, welcome. Oopsie poopsies. So not an oopsie poopsie necessarily but an addition to so do you remember our boy from the Dibby Box story last week
0: named Kevin Manis? Yeah, how could I forget him?
4: Yeah, well a listener after the episode was released tipped us off that Kevin Manis had been on an episode of Ghost Adventures with Zach Baggins and guess where they were? They were hanging out at the Haunted Museum, doing the Dibby
0: Box dance, whatever, hanging out with the Dibby Box. Just drinking some cold shots, listening to some Jack Johnson playing some Xbox, just throwing out, man. That's it, that's it,
4: but Loving also... Life, popping
0: the collars. Yep,
4: yeah, exactly. So they were doing all that. Sunglasses on the top of their head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also, apparently they were into, or at least Kevin Manis was into, standing in a corner and reciting weird poetry. Love it. Yeah, so he w- seemed like he was just, I guess, like possessed or like overtaken by the Dybbuk box. And this was on the episode, but then I guess it was found out later that this random strange mysterious poem that he recited on this episode was a poem that he had like written or posted on Facebook sometime prior. So it was just Kevin Manis being a bowdy bowdy bitch standing in the corner, reciting poetry, trying to be spooky ooky, but just being messy ass queen and basically just got caught on being a fraudster. So, you know, the Dybbuk box,
0: is it real? I don't know. All right. Well, my oopsie poopsie is pretty straightforward. It's a pronunciation thing. Okay. Yeah. So Johnny, you so crazy. It's Siegel, not Sigil. I mispronounced someone's last name. Okay. In my defense, yeah. it was written S-I-G-L. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I got that name right. Right. I just don't want anyone to come for me. Yeah. You don't want any seagulls coming for your gig. Look, we signed up for Twitter a few months ago, and I just don't want a shitstorm. You know what I mean? It's totally fair. Because they're wordsmiths on that part of the internet. <laughs> (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, an ugly girl like you could never come for a pretty girl. (laughs) You crawl out of the swamp? Okay, well... I'm going first this week, right? Yes. Because mine's a little bit scarier than yours, I think we've established. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm just going to sit back, I'm going to relax and listen. You're not going to relax, trust me. So this week, I'm going to be talking about the hauntings of the L.A. Comedy Store. Oh, I don't know her. Well, get into her. I actually didn't really know about this until a few weeks ago when I was listening to My Favorite Murder, you know that show? Oh, yeah. Oh, did they talk about this on that show? Karen mentioned it, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so I was tuned in on my ham radio one day and they were like, blah, 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 hauntings at the comedy store. So shout out to the mother of the house of, nope, Karen Kilgariff. <laughs> yes. And I mean that like drag mother of a drag house, not like an actual mother because she is no one's mother. Right. Which I completely identify with. We are no one's mother,
4: nor do we want to be anybody's mother.
0: Literally and figuratively. So many thanks for tipping me off to this. Basically, as soon as I heard it, the bells just started ringing because right. I've heard of the comedy store before. I've seen clips from people performing there, but I never knew that it was like actually one of the most haunted places on the Sunset Strip. Oh, shit. Yeah, so the Comedy Store is a legendary comedy club located on Hollywood Sunset Strip. It's in West Hollywood. Weeho. Ooh, yes. Yes. Land of the Queens. You absolutely love it. And it's at the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and North Olive Road. Okay. Cool. Never been there. <laughs> no. Whatever. But it's kind of like a training ground for comedians in a lot of ways, or like a proving ground. Whatever fucking war term performers try to apply to what they do. Right. Like they tell a lot of jokes, and some people make it, some people don't. It's like Fight Club with jokes. Sure. So it's helped launch the careers of a ton of people. They started up in the 70s. They've seen the likes of, like, Ben Midler, Robin Williams, Tim Conway, Chris Rock, Jim Carrey, Richard Pryor, a whole bunch of really cool folks. Uh-huh. But a lot of people kind of, like, owe the comedy store to starting their comedy career, and it's, like, a place where a lot of industry people go and look for new talent. And basically, you can go there on just about any night and see a mix of, like, really good newcomers and really seasoned vets that's cool love it so it's a three-story building it's got two performance spaces downstairs there's like the original showroom and then the main showroom it's got another venue upstairs called the belly room this will all come into play trust me okay and then there are offices throughout the second and third floor right before it was the comedy store though it was a club called ciros that's c-i-r-o c-i-r-o Okay, okay, okay. Fancy. I was like, I couldn't get zero over my head. Yeah, well, that's why I spelled it. So this was back when the Sunset Strip wasn't under the jurisdiction of Los Angeles, though. It was kind of its own thing. That actually went from, like, 1870 until 1984. Weird. Yeah, so there was a ton of legal shit that went down on the Sunset Strip, a lot of mob-controlled businesses, like a lot of shakedowns, drinking during Prohibition, sex work, all that kind of good stuff. Damn, it was the place to be. It's very L.A. Yeah. So the first occupant of the building was Club Seville. It was built in the 30s. Whole bunch of drinking, whole bunch of illegal gambling. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it was crashed by a vice squad in 1938 and shut down. Right. By 1940, it was reopened by William Wilkerson, who was a real estate mogul and nightclub owner. He's also the founder of The Hollywood Reporter. The paper. Yeah. So mama knows the tea. Yeah. Yeah. His hair is full of secrets. And in (laughs) 1946, he was actually the guy who published Billy's List of communist sympathies sympathizers in the Hollywood Reporter, which basically led to the Hollywood blacklist for communist sympathizers, you know, like all those actors that weren't able to work for so long because people thought they were in bed with the Russians. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. that's this guy. So just a banner fucking dude. Mm -hmm. And he essentially redid the place and branded it as Zeroes. And this is where shit becomes legendary, but not necessarily in a great way. So Wilkerson is notoriously friends with this famous mobster, uh, Bugsy Siegel and Mickey Cohen who was kind of like boss baby mob man of the Sunset Strip. He ran everything. He would like shake down businesses once a week, like Ciro specifically. He actually ran a brothel next door from the 1920s until the 1950s. And he basically took a cut out of Ciro's profits. He was like, oh, you want to exist and not get fucked with too hard? You don't want me to break everyone's legs? Cool. You're going to give me a bit of the till every week.
4: Like, what the hell kind of power is that? Like, how do you get that power? How can you just walk into a business and be
0: like, you have to pay me to not hurt you. Welcome to the Sunset Strip before it was under the jurisdiction of the city of Los Angeles. That is serious shit, mama. It's only going to get worse. So, Little Mickey also gave himself an office up top at Ciro's. So he was probably like, "Uh, I don't really like the lighting in the brothel, so I'm going to go up on the second or third floor. That's going to be cool. Otherwise, you know, bang, bang. Right. And the deal is he supposedly did a bunch of his mob business in the basement of Ciro's. So Ciro's like became a pretty established Hollywood nightclub. Like, all of the famous actors would go there. It was kind of like a who's who at any given point. Like, JFK, when he first came to California, went to Ciro's. Damn, she was, like, super chic. Yeah, you want Betty Davis to throw a drink at you? You go to Ciro's. You want Joan Crawford to beat you with a wire hanger? Go to the co-room at Ciro's. And, I mean, who doesn't? You and every other gay man in the world. <laughs> yeah. So, the mod business that Mickey Cohen was doing in the basement included, you know, like, knee breakings, executions, all that kind of stuff. Stuff. supposedly he also ran a back alley abortion clinic out of a space on the third floor that's just crazy or out of one of the spaces upstairs at zeros some people do say it's in the basement but from most of the reports that i've heard of this alleged back alley abortion clinic it right. was upstairs but these things can be hard to pin down yeah for yeah, sure you can't find it on google maps anymore
4: <laughs> yeah there are no yelp reviews
5: Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY.
3: This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it. The glamour of the roaring 20s, wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware. Each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits.
0: Zero. But basically the deal is, it's like you don't pay your gambling debts? Boom. Let's go down to the basement. You want to fuck around with one of the wait staff? Cool. Let's go down to the basement. Cheers. They had a dedicated kill room down there, supposedly. And a lot of people believe that this was the source of the hauntings that would happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That sounds like a lot of misery in one place. Yeah, and a lot of people also cite the Back Alley Abortion Clinic because those things were kind of notorious for causing fatalities, etc. Yeah. for also giving the building some of its ghostly occupants. Basically, the clientele that they supposedly saw in this clinic would be like showgirls who worked at Ciro's right? and also like girlfriends of mafia bosses and people that are, you know, connected to Mickey Cohen in some way. Right. And supposedly, they found evidence of Mickey actually keeping a female abortion doctor on his payroll, so there is like a little bit of legitimacy to this whole urban legend, people believe. Right. And ultimately, they think she had been killed by the boyfriend of a woman who didn't survive the procedure. Oh my god. Yeah, and like procedures in big old air quotes. Yeah. So, Ciro's Hot Night Club. A hot night club festering in the pit of fucking
4: hell? Like, what the fuck? Imagine, just like, getting your cocktails, doing your things, schmoozing and like somebody's being tortured in the basement below and you don't even know. Or somebody's like having an illegal abortion that's super dangerous up above your head.
0: Like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, especially when you consider that like Marilyn Monroe and Sidney Poitier and Marlena Dietrich and people like that were in the building just sipping on cocktails. Yeah. Like, this was the place where the after party for Citizen Kane was held. Oh, mama, that's a big deal. Yeah, and fun fact, actually a few years later, Liza Minnelli got married there. (laughs) No way. Yeah, she married Jack Haley who was the uh, tin man's son. So Dorothy's daughter married the tin man's son. Oh my God. In this hellhole and they covered up all the signs at the time and made it look like the old Ciro's because they just wanted to relive all that mob goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So basically Ciro's gets sold to Herman Hoven, a restaurateur in 1942 and he opens the doors to the public. So it keeps growing in popularity until the rise of rock and roll where the club is sold again in 1957. And then basically Basically, Ciro's was rebranded Ciro's Le Disc. Oh, mm-hmm. like it was the disco. Yeah. And then my favorite name, it was called It's Boss in 1968. Are you fucking kidding me? 100% no. And it actually thrived as a rock club for a little bit. <laughs> it's where the birds were discovered. And the birds are boss. I know, right? Boss says. So, It's Boss goes out of business. Surprise, surprise. No. Probably the marketing. The Comedy Store is the next business to open up in there. Basically, in April of 1972, these two comedians, Sammy Shore and Rudy DeLuca, rented the main room at Zeroes to open up a comedy club. Now, the venue was originally like a 99-seat theater with like a little stage and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it ended up getting its name, the Comedy Store, by Mitzi Shore, who is Sammy Shore's wife. These are the parents of Polly Shore. Ooh. Mm-hmm, and he's actually the current owner. Pauly Shore owns the comedy store? Yeah. Encino Man owns the comedy store? Yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't Encino Man, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because I always felt like a big part of pop culture when I was a kid was making fun of Pauly Shore. Yeah. And now knowing this, it kind of makes me go like, hmm, I wonder if all those L.A. comedy guys resent Polly Shore for being, like, the boss's son, so they just rip him whenever they have a chance and they're, like, on a network show and they're safe. You might be right. They're like, I'm not concerned with grinding it at the comedy. Comedy store anymore, so I can fire my shots now. Right. Jealousy comes in many shades, mama. Anyway, so basically they open it up and it's not really going that well. Yeah. Sammy Shore and Rudy DeLuca aren't really nailing the business side of it. And Sammy ends up getting a divorce from Mitzi in 1973. The good thing about this is that Mitzi ends up taking control of the comedy store then. Right. And she's actually able to purchase the entire building so they're not just renting out the 99 seat space that they were in right. in 1976. So, like within three years, she was turning enough of a profit with her business acumen and like her running of the comedy store to be able to buy the fucking building. Yes. And as soon as she took over it and really got control of the motherfucker, she renovated it so that they would have a 450 seat showroom. Whoa. That's when she also opened up the second space, the belly room upstairs, so it's like a smaller, more intimate venue. Mm-hmm. The other deal was the comedy store downstairs was for the boys, and the belly room was meant for a stage for the women to be able to perform in. Ooh, gender segregation. Love it. I know. Women supporting women, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of question around why it's called the belly room. Some people are like, oh, belly laughs, maybe. That's what I would think. Some people say it's because back in the day of zeros belly dancers would do private shows for guys up there. Okay. Some people also say that, hey, that's the room where the abortion clinic was. <gasps> Ooh. Morbid as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, like, maybe that's where they ate pork belly. Yeah, that would be the least problematic of all of the names. Yeah. So, the deal is, the comedy store opens, all these great renovations, all this cool shit, and it's still open to this day. So, to review, Ciro's, whole bunch of mob shit. Yeah. Bad vibes. Yeah. Comedy store opens up, Mitzi takes control she rocks it, opens up a whole bunch of new spaces. Yep. Suddenly, they're occupying the whole building.
4: Now, I can't believe you totally glassed over the fact
0: that it was its boss for a little while, Johnny. Its most prolific era. Well, I need to get past page three of my story, so I'm <laughs> omitting certain things. I'm very sorry.
4: JK missed
0: So, by the time the 80s rolled around, stories of hauntings really started to pop up around the comedy store. To the point that in 1981, they actually had their first formal paranormal investigation in the building. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was led by Larry Muntz, who's a parapsychologist. deal is, for the first few years, when comedians were reporting having, like, weird encounters with the paranormal in the club, the bosses didn't really know how to take it. Like, okay, these are a whole bunch of funny people just, you know, telling stories, trying to one-up each other, comedian shit. Sure, pranksters. But in 1981, when they bring in Larry Muntz, he brings a team with him from the International Society for Paranormal Research. When they go through the building, they say that they can hear sounds of babies crying up upstairs in the belly room and that they thought it might be an abortion clinic right yeah and the deal is supposedly they didn't really know about all the lore that surrounded zeros and all this like mob stuff that had been going on but these people just essentially went in there and they were like bam this is what i'm seeing right so the hairs on the back of people's necks started to really go up and they're able to essentially identify a spirit in the comedy store his name's gus supposedly and they say that he was the ghost of a mafia hitman who essentially was like ready to go to hell but then was completely taken by surprise by the fact that he was stuck in purgatory and just kind of like stuck in limbo on earth. Oh shit. So he's just kind of like this wandering restless spirit. And the International Society for Paranormal Research actually did a few more investigations at the comedy store over the years and in 1997 they were able to identify five specific spirits that they felt at the comedy store. So first one is Gus also known as Francis I guess. Okay. Yeah supposedly his real name was Francis, but people called him Gus, right. and he was a doorman at CROs and a mafia hitman. She's busy. Yeah, girl, working two jobs, getting shit done. And the next spirit is one named Anthony, who was also a doorman and a hitman, which kind of makes me wonder if there are transferable skill sets between the two jobs. <laughs> right. Like, what am I missing here? Yeah, it must be a connection in the job market. I somewhere. just want to know their professional path. Yeah. The third ghost is Ellen. She's an elderly woman, and supposedly she was the one who performed illegal abortions up Stairs in the belly room back when it was zeroes. Right. So I'm assuming then this must also be the person that Mickey Cohen had on the payroll. Right. The person who was killed by one of the husbands of the women who she accidentally killed in her clinic. It sounds like a recipe for ghosts. I mean, yeah, one part shoddy back alley medicine, another part revenge. You got a ghost. So number four, Sharon. Sharon is supposedly a young woman who died while being given an abortion by Ellen. Right. So they know each other. Awkward. I know. It must be so weird when they run into each other. Yeah. I know. And then the fifth one is Steve Lubetkin. Now, Steve Lubetkin was a real person. He was a comedian and a really good friend of Mitzi Shore, kind of from the onset of the Comedy Store. He was originally from New York. He performed all around the comedy circuit or whatever, but was kind of a golden boy at the Comedy Store. Right. The deal is, in 1979, there ended up being a comedian strike. So all of the comedians had been performing at the Comedy Store from the beginning for free oh basically it was explained to them as like a mutually beneficial thing where like the comedy store has talent but then they also get all this celebrity exposure and you know the clout that comes with performing mm-hmm. at the comedy store
4: Mm-hmm. now working for exposure
0: in any field is total bullshit completely and a lot of people agreed with you so basically the comedians ended up establishing a union called comedians for compensation now on paper it's a job action not a union because they were considered independent contractors what the fuck ever they picketed. Yeah, they stood up for their rights like Moms on Strike. Yeah, just like the Lifetime movie. So basically they picketed, things got really heated, and even though things got settled, the comedians that led the strike ultimately got banned from the comedy store. Steve mm. Lubetkin was one of those comedians. So even though everything got resolved and he was hoping that he would be able to come back and then when they were like, "Sorry baby, you're banned for life." He basically felt like he had no other option. And it's really unfortunate And that's why I'm kind of like, uh, I get uncomfortable hearing all these ghost people be like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. Steve, blah, blah, blah. Because this was somebody who really felt like their livelihood was wrapped up in their ability to perform at this place. And he was devastated by this. And this was something that even really affected Mitzi Shore for a long time. Because they were good friends. And it's a really sticky situation. So basically, he had jumped off the neighboring hotel, the Continent Hyatt House, from the 14th floor in 1979. And he had a suicide note written that read, My name is Steve Lubetkin, I used to work at the Comedy Store. Shit. His intention was to actually land on the comedy store. Right. And he ended up missing and ended up in the lot next door. But people basically say that they believe that because of, you know, his fixation in life on getting back into the comedy store, that's ultimately where his spirit is resting. Right. Because he couldn't get there in life, but he sure as hell got there in death. And that's the thing. So the International Society for Paranormal Research identifies these five ghosts. And supposedly on the night that they're there in 1997, they're able to help Ellen and Sharon Passover oh that's good yeah once again the comedy store is a fucking boys club (laughs) right now sometime later a sketch artist from the area actually came by and according to her she knew nothing about the history of comedy or like the scene or anything like that but she basically came into the building and was like "Ooh, I'm seeing something in here and oh yeah I forgot to mention she was a sketch artist and a psychic so basically she was like I see what I see and then I draw what I see (laughs) and she sketched out the entity that she saw, and a lot of people thought that it had resembled Ollie Joe Prater, who had performed at the Comedy Store a lot and died in 1991. Oh, so he was a potential spirit there as well. It just seems like everybody wants to haunt the Comedy Store. Right? It's the place to haunt. Mm-hmm. And according to Lori Jacobson, the author of Hollywood Haunted, who used to work at the Comedy Store, it is packed in her words, from the basement to the rafters. So let's go through the building. But we're going to start at the rafters, go down to the basement. Right. we're 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 going to start from least scary to scariest. That's what I was going to say. That sounds like a journey into the spookiest. You're welcome. So we're going to do this by space because there's not a really great linear timeline of this. A lot of this information that I have is put together from like interviews, anecdotes, Mm -hmm. all that kind of shit. Right. The first one comes from Bobby Lee, comedian, mad TV. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember him. Yeah. Now he was once doing an out of town gig and he left his vehicle at the comedy store. Now he comes back from this gig late at night. It's like 4am and he's dropped off by his friend Johnny Sanchez. Right. When they're in the parking lot, you know, saying their goodbyes and all that shit, they look toward the comedy store and on the third floor in a window, they see a man wearing a top hat pressing his face and his body against the window looking out directly at them. That's scary as hell. It terrified them because the building was shut down for the night. They screamed, they looked away, and then when they turned back to look at the comedy store, the guy had just vanished. Right, because the guy was a ghost. Yeah, and this is the deal with the paranormal occurrences at the comedy store. A lot of people think that they see humans or humanoid entities. Right. So another comedian named Argus Hamilton remember seeing figures out of the corner of his eyes whenever he'd be upstairs playing the arcade games at the comedy store. Mm -hmm. And according to Mike Becker, who was the vice president of the store at one point, he's upstairs in a room that adjoins to his office, so kind of like an ante room. There are other people in there and all of a sudden he sees this guy wearing a tweed jacket, who Michael Becker said looked like he was from the 1940s, just walk into his office. And he's just kind of like, hey there, who's this bitch walking into my office like she knows the place? He asks the person in his room, like, did you see that guy? Other person's like, no, what guy looks in his office, doesn't see anyone there. But he was 100% sure that he had seen a man wearing a tweed jacket walk directly into his office. and There was no other way to come out but the way he came in. Right. You can't miss a tweed jacket. (laughs) It is a glaring fashion faux pas. Mm -hmm. So, according to a source, there have also been numerous seances up on the third floor or like the second floor just like in one of the rooms. Supposedly, it's in this room that Mitzi Shore kept locked for 30 years. Why? Yeah, I don't know, but according to a comedian that worked at the comedy store, they were in the building, it was close to 3am, basically as they were, you know, about to go home, they noticed that there was activity in this room that is usually locked. They peeked in the crack of the door and there were people in the room doing a seance. And supposedly they were in purple robes. And allegedly, I'm saying this for legality, Allegedly, one of the people was Lily Tomlin. Really? She would be the bitch to be doing a seance in the middle of the night at the comedy store. Yeah, and a seance in an effort to contact Andy Kaufman, no less. Oh. Yeah, so supposedly they heard all of these comedians up in that locked room doing a seance in purple robes to Andy Kaufman.
4: Huh. I don't know. Comedians, you can never read them. Like, are they doing it in
0: sincerity or are they doing it ironically? Yeah, like, maybe they were just legitimately trying to do, like, an Andy Kaufman bit. Right. You know, that, like, no not funny, but funny kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to read. I guess we're just not cultured. Now, one of the other kind of notable sightings of a figure up on the third floor was a guy in a World War II bomber jacket. So it had originally actually been seen on the main floor. There's this guy named Blake Clark, and he's in a lot of the stuff that I can find about the hauntings of the comedy store. He was in the Unsolved Mysteries. He's been quoted in a whole bunch of articles, etc. Oh. He was a doorman. And a hitman? Close, a comedian. Okay, Yeah, he yeah. killed people people with laughter. (laughs) He was hitting them with jokes. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. But basically, one day, he was down in the back room of the club on the main floor playing a game, and he noticed somebody walk by him. It was this guy dressed in a World War II bomber jacket, and he thought this was kind of out of place, Mm -hmm. so he tries to speak to the guy, being like, hey, tell me about your fashion choices, or something like that. (laughs) Right. As soon as the guy is acknowledged, he vanishes into thin air. Why'd ghosts be doing that all the time? Well, at this point, I don't think we were having collective conversations about ghosting as a part of our culture, you know? Know what I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was a different time, totally. Yeah, people were ignorant. So, basically, Blake Clark sees this ghost downstairs. Mm-hmm. A little while later, there is a woman working in a third floor office. She goes into her office, and this guy is crouching in the fucking corner, staring at her, looking terrified. No. and she's like, Oh, hi, weird looking, scared man crouching in the corner of my fucking office, Twin Peaks style. What's going on? He vanishes.
4: Yeah, best believe I wouldn't be sticking. Around to even ask him what's going on, I would be running in the other
0: direction. Yeah, girl, just imagine like a dude dressed for World War II giving you puppy dog eyes shaking in the corner of your fucking office when you're just like going about your business. Nope. Mm -mm. now getting back to the main floor there's a lot of spooky shit that goes on down there right one night staff were working going about their business and i guess like the central back door has a window in it Mm -hmm. and they could see somebody peeping in at them from the outside like outside the store yeah so there's like somebody standing outside the back door just like peeping in like face pressed up against the glass staring at them right and people are just like okay well maybe we should go up and see what this is all about Mm -hmm. as they approach the door they watch this person just drift upward and vanish into thin air. Whoa, like head goes up, torso, knees, legs gone. Yeah. And then just like evaporates. No, ma'am. Yeah. Blake Clark, our good girlfriend from before, Mm -hmm. one night he's working, it's late and he's in a hallway close by to that location. And he notices that the steel divider door, like the security door is undulating and like pushing in almost as if there's like a body forcing it in toward the hallway. Oh, wow. And there was nothing there, but he just saw this like metal door bending in and it scared the shit out of him because it completely defied physical reality. It yeah. had never happened before. And it looked like the weight of a body being like pushed through these bars. That's terrifying. Yeah. It's like straight out of the original haunting where like the walls are like breathing in on you and oh just my like, God, yeah, yeah the door is like pulsing, terrifying. Now, supposedly the most haunted hallway on the main floor of the comedy store is between the main stage and the original stage so the original stage the 99 seat venue is still there along with the 450 seat theater that Mitzi Shore opened up according to lore I don't know who the comedian is but there was a comedian who was found levitating off the ground in that hallway and he went up so high that he ended up hitting his head on the rafters of the ceiling resulting in requiring spinal surgery oh my god so he must have hit it pretty hard according to what people say now I wasn't able to find his name but supposedly according to legend Pete people just start levitating there. That's weird. And we'll get a little bit more into the levitations when we get into the showroom. But another super haunted hallway is the one that leads to the sound booth. It's mm-hmm. like another kind of like paranormal hotspot. So according to an employee of the comedy store, one day they found some people like fucking around with a Ouija board back there. They were just like, you know, oh, this spooky hallway that everyone talks about. Let's see if we can channel a spirit. Right. They start talking to the Ouija board and suddenly this like metal side door to the staircase just flew open on them. Shit. And they just, like, abandoned and run away.
4: Yeah, but they probably didn't say goodbye,
0: which is a no-no. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'd make a bad situation worse. Right. No follow-through. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, some of the earliest reportings of hauntings at the comedy store actually came from a guy named Sam Kinnison. Okay. Now, you can go and see his comedy on YouTube. He died in the 90s, but the deal is before he was a comedian, he was a preacher and, like, a really verbose one. And some people think that maybe maybe this is why he was such a target of the spirits because he really got the shit end of a stick. Supposedly when he was performing they would just have like really weird sound issues like everything just cuts out out of nowhere and then comes back when he gets off the stage. The lights would flicker only when he went on the stage like just weird shit. Now the deal is my past life is as like a theater technician so I'll tell you right now shit fucks up all the time. Right. But from what I gather it wasn't just like the regular kind of like interference shit or like stuff malfunctioning it was just like only when he was on stage this shit was going out and mysteriously going out yeah and then it started to kind of kick up so one night he was performing and as soon as he walked on stage he started to hear angry voices from the crowd yelling it's him it's him oh yeah almost as if somebody was in the room and it was like fuck it's him let's get him you know like that kind of thing. yeah like and the audience heard it too, supposedly. And it basically got so loud and so rowdy that basically everyone in the audience was just like looking around to find who the fuck was yelling this stuff. And he's standing up on there on the stage, surveying the room, trying to see who's screaming. Nobody is. That is terrifying. And by the time everyone realized that there was nobody yelling, the room plunges into darkness like all the <gasps> lights go off. That's some Phantom of the Opera fucking bullshit. Yeah, mama. So basically Sam came just like got off the stage at that point and then things basically went back to normal. Now, the thing is with Sam Kennison, when he first came to L.A., he slept on the stage of the comedy store. No way. Yeah, so as this haunted shit is happening, he was sleeping on the stage with this guy named Carl above. Basically, like he wasn't famous yet, needed a place to crash. Yeah. Mitzi put him up there. The deal is one night Carl wakes up and Sam is levitating upside down four feet off the ground. Ooh, like Sabrina. Yeah, like this ghost was holding him up by the fucking ankles. Now, I'm not sure if he got dropped. I'm not sure what else happened. But imagine sleeping in a notoriously haunted club with your friend. You think everything's fine. You wake up in the middle of the night and he is floating upside down by his ankles next to you. I just like fucking can't. Like, that's too scary to think about. Yeah, that's nightmare shit, girl. And the deal is a lot of audience members say that they see spirits in the main showroom as well, where they're sitting down to the comedy show. So a lot of people report seeing guys in, like, 1940s style suits walking in between the crowd, and, like, comedians say that they see it from the stage. Right, And then basically these people end up vanishing or not actually being real people. But a lot of folks think that these might be, like, the mafia people just kind of, you know, like, walking around, making sure everything's okay in the room, that kind of shit. Surveying. Yeah, yeah. just men trying to exert control on a situation. (laughs) Man spreading from the afterlife. Exactly. They just can't let anyone do their fucking jobs. Especially this guy named Joey Gaynor, who's a good Judy of Blake Clark. Mm -hmm. So the two of them will have some adventures later on. Joey's got some own stories of his own, though, because basically one night he was shutting down everything at the comedy store. He was like the only person left there. He's turning off the lights and he was like, I was never freaked out by doing this. Turning off the lights is a super easy thing. Whatever. Yeah. Goes through the main showroom goes to the light switch, turns around, and when he looks back out into the main showroom all of the chairs that had been stacked on the tables were pulled to the center of the room and just in this like huge pile. That's weird. Like a ten foot pile of chairs.
4: And no noise, no commotion, nothing just turn around and bam, chair pile.
0: Yeah, and there's some other chair related shit that's gone on there too. So Blake Clark, one night he's shutting down and he sees the stool that's on stage for the comedians move twenty feet across the stage just slide and he hears it like going across the floor catches his attention and he Mm -hmm. just sees it moving on its own accord with no one pushing it. Now one time Joey and Blake were in the main showroom area and Joey decided to get tough with the ghosts. So Blake is basically like no girl don't do it. Joey's like I don't give a fuck mama. He yells out and he challenges whatever was haunting the room to come get a piece of him. Uh uh wrong move. Yeah like stop trying to be a fucking tough guy. You're Mm -hmm. not gonna fight a ghost. It's not not going to end well for you. It's like, girl, we know that this thing can pull people up by its ankles. That's the tea. And slam your head into rafters and cause spinal damage. Yeah. He yells out, he's Britney Spears. You all want a piece of me, whatever. Basically, Joey and Blake then see an ashtray levitate off of a nearby table and just whip itself past Joey's head. Now he dodges it and then it just slams and hits the wall behind him and like breaks. Well, yeah. Don't fuck with a no they have nothing better to do than fuck your shit up and this ghost looks like it's been in fucking prison training for years because it's strong it can do shit yeah it's probably got a lot of tattoos by this point Mm -hmm. so another thing too that happens in the main showroom is that sometimes people think that they can hear screams and growls coming from the basement
4: Oh, our favorite place in the comedy store.
0: Yeah, and this is why some people actually believe that there may have been a back-alley abortion clinic in the basement, not upstairs, because supposedly they hear specifically the screams of women coming up through the floor sometimes. God damn! So the basement is supposedly where the most evil, spooky stuff resides. Now, Blake Clark has had a few notable experiences with the basement to the point that he refuses to go down there 100%. Mm-hmm. So basically, Blake... And and a ton of other people, say that they've seen a smoky apparition down in the basement that hangs out close to this pink overstuffed couch that used to belong to Mae West. I mean, that's where I'd be. <laughs> I know, right? This ghost is totally down with our aesthetic. Maybe it's the ghost of May West. Maybe, yeah. I just love like, that. Yeah, right? In her wildest role ever in drag as a mafia boss. Yes, I love it with her big pink furry couch. So, according to Joey Gaynor and Blake Clark, they were working one night and they heard ruckus down in the basement they Mm -hmm. go down there to see what's going on and when they get down the stairs and they're kind of looking around they end up seeing an apparition forming in the middle of the room they say that it was snaking upwards and downwards and it was this big amorphous black form that was about seven feet tall and they got this really overwhelming kind of foreboding feeling like they really felt like it was something demonic maybe and it actually terrified them so much that they just ran without thinking out of the basement out onto the street wow yeah and they absolutely could not believe what they saw so Joey and Blake go back into the comedy store and they're like well we have to go down into the basement again we have to know if this was really what we thought we saw yeah they go back down there and as soon as they hit the bottom they see the apparition that they saw before but this time it's crouching in a corner and as they say as soon as it noticed them it started making a direct line for them it just started Ooh. coming at them so they ran the fuck out of there slammed the door behind them no ma'am Yep. now a little while later blake had to go back down into the basement it was 3 a.m and he was closing up and the staff could hear some really weird noises coming from down there right he goes down to the basement and he can hear a guttural growling coming from this corner that didn't really have any light in it. Of course. Yeah. And then he hears a weird sound. He looks over and there's this wooden door to what we think might have been the kill room. And it's doing the same thing that that metal door upstairs was doing. It was pushing out toward the basement, almost like the weight of a body was pressing up against it. And then he realized the growling that he was hearing was also coming from that direction as well. So he just ran back up the stairs again, slammed the door, was like, "Mm -mm, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. But he fucking stayed on because Blake had one more experience. So, one night he's working and again, mysterious noises downstairs. Right. Now, if I were Blake, I'd be like, who am I going to ask to go down there instead of me? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't cross his mind. He goes down into the basement. This time, he doesn't see an apparition, but right before his fucking eyes, he sees a black piece of paper materialize in the air and just fall down. That's bizarre. He picks it up. His fucking name is on it. No. Yeah, so he just like crumpled it up Threw it down there, runs upstairs, is like, I'm never going back down there again. Whatever the fuck is down there has seen me, it has chased me, it knows my name. I never want to do that again. And Blake Clark never went downstairs at the comedy store again. Nobody was able to find the piece of paper, but a lot of other people have had similar experiences of seeing a big, shadowy apparition close to Mae West's pink, overstuffed couch in the basement. Enough to the point that a lot of people who work there are just like, no, I don't go in the basement. I don't fuck with that. Like, it's just kind of a generally accepted thing. You don't fuck with the basement at the comedy store. I say that as somebody who has never been in L.A., has never been to the comedy store, and can't actually speak from experience. Yeah. But oh my fucking God.
3: This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
2: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash ad free true crime. That's Amazon.com slash ad free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: Yeah, that shit is scary. Yeah, so that is the patchwork story of the hauntings of the L.A. Comedy Store. Wow,
4: significantly spooky, and what a terrible fate for that beautiful pink couch.
0: I know, right? Now, the hauntings do continue on to today. People still say that they experience stuff there all the time. A lot of comedians have also come out and said that they think it's complete bullshit. Essentially, the comedy store just started leaning into the whole haunted thing, and they do, like, tours and stuff like that, and, like, right. little nights where you can go and have, like, a ghosty adventure. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people consider it to be one of the most haunted places in California or just kind of, like, in the States. They're kind of in the world, you know, that's a lot of activity, a lot of spirits in one small parameter.
4: So that's it. That sounds spooky, Mama. Yeah, but I want to go someday. I do, too. I do, too. I want to see a ghost. When I hear that, like, if you want to see a ghost, you're not going to see a ghost. I don't know if that's true, if that's just some kind of, like, if you want it, like, you know, you'll find love when you least expect it, and it's like, you know, will I find a ghost when I
0: least expect it? Is there anything like Tinder for ghosts? Can you just get Up with like a nice haunting. I used to have a ghost radar on my phone. I'm pretty sure it was complete bullshit,
4: but it would show you, it would track spirits in your area.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
4: It looked like a little submarine like, bing! Bing bing thing thing, and it would indicate if there was a spirit nearby. I bet Amethyst Realm would love that. That'd be like Ghost Grinder for her. That's it. She must have the tea She knows how to find a ghost. Yeah. So, what do you have this week? Okay, so this week I thought that I would bring something a little fresh to the podcast. Something we haven't talked about yet. We're finally going
0: to talk economics. Yes.
4: So, what is your RSVP? Well, your R. Wait, no. RSVP is responsive play. Are you trying to say RRSP? <laughs> yeah, that one. Okay. Um, no, I'm not going to be talking about economics. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Toronto Tunnel Monster. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. we're bringing her home and we're talking about monsters for the first time on That Spooky. Damn girl. Yes. Okay.
0: So we have a tunnel monster? We
4: have a tunnel monster, allegedly. Who is she? Have I seen her? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see once we describe her. So there's actually only one ever sighting of the Toronto tunnel monster and it took place in 1979 and it actually happened in Cabbage Town on Parliament Street. So like blocks away from where we we are right now.
0: Thanks for blowing up our spot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, totally. Oh my God. This is real close to home. Real close to home. This is like Bruce MacArthur close to home. Yeah.
4: Okay. So a 51 year old Ernest, we don't have a last name. Sure. And his wife were caring for a litter of kittens when one night one of the kittens had escaped their Parliament Street apartment. Concerned for the kitten's safety and inability to find its way home, Ernest equipped himself with a flashlight and then headed outside to try and find the kitten.
0: Of course. Oh, good on Ernest. Yeah, good Ernest. So
4: during his search, Ernest came across a collapsed wall of concrete in front of a small enclosed pathway that led into what appeared to be a narrow tunnelway between his apartment and the apartment building next to his. So when Ernest had the thought that maybe the kitten, being curious and cold, had crawled its way into the tunnel, he began to think that perhaps he should go into the small opening to see if the kitten had made its way in there. Okay. So Ernest squeezed himself through the small opening and vanished from the outside world. Ooh. The tunnel was cold, dark. Horror movie shit. Yeah, exactly. Pretty standard, yeah. cold, dark, etc. Ernest pointed his flashlight around and was able to determine through the darkness that the tunnel seemed to go pretty far back and that there were other pathways that extended off the main chute. So he was in like one tunnel way and then there were other Tunnelways coming off of it Okay Calling and listening for the kitten Ernest stepped further into the tunnel But immediately froze When his flashlight landed On a small furry creature Hunched down towards the ground In the tunnel What? In a 1976 article from the Toronto Sun Ernest would go on to explain That the creature was about three feet tall It was covered in thick gray hair And it had slanted eyes That seemed to glow orange and red In the beams of his flashlight now this is Toronto. Or are we sure that's not a raccoon? <laughs> well, we'll get into some theories in a little bit. So Ernest froze in fear as the creature lurched. It wasn't until the creature opened its mouth and demanded Ernest to go away, go away, that he was able to regain the ability to move as he ran backwards and saw the creature disappear into another tunnel way.
0: An English-speaking monster. An English-speaking monster. Oh my god, so- it's got the power of knowledge, too. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I don't like a smart monster. <laughs> right. I like a dumb monster like Frankenstein.
1: Yeah. Give me like, that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like Frankenstein can't even give a fucking flower to somebody. <laughs> That's right. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, you don't want a strategic, coherent monster. Yeah. No, 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 no. And if yeah. anything, dim your light when you're in front of me, monster. I don't want to see what you can do. Exactly. So Ernest was freaked the fuck out. So he hurried and crawled through the collapsed concrete and then returned to the
4: outside world. He was totally terrified. So Ernest dashed home to the safety of his apartment and his last kid
0: never been found. I was gonna say, so he was just like, fuck that kitten?
4: Well, he was just like, what the fuck was that? I don't I mean, essentially, fuck that kitten, but I think he was kind of in survival mode at this point. Totally, yeah. Yeah, you know, fight or flight kind of thing.
0: Yeah, oh, poor kitten,
4: though. Mm -hmm. So, Ernest kept his experience a secret. He only really told his closest friends and family for fear of being accused of being a liar or drunk or crazy. He, you know, he wanted to keep up those appearances, mama. Those appearances were important. Yeah, I
0: mean, reputation is all you have in Cabbage Town.
4: Exactly. Reputation is everything just as Taylor Swift. So, Ernest's wife would claim that when Ernest returned home that night that he was visibly shaken and in a state she had never witnessed before. So, she testified that like, yeah, he was legitimately terrified. So, just like his wife though, those in whom Ernest had trusted to tell his experience to would also claim that he seemed very genuine in recounting the experience. Everyone he told truly believed that he had experienced some. Something in the tunnel that night, but what it was, no one could say. So sometime after his encounter, Ernest was approached by a reporter for the Toronto Sun named Laurie Goldstein. So Goldstein had heard Ernest's story from an acquaintance who had heard the story from a co-worker who was one of Ernest's family members that he told the story
0: to. So like this was literally like a friend of a friend situation. Oh my God, like you move to the city and you think you're going to get away from that small town bullshit, but no. It will find you. Mm -mm. I mean, a city is really just a bunch of small towns clumped together. (laughs) It's human nature. Yeah.
4: So anyway, hearing this story, Goldstein was pretty interested, so she was able to track down Ernest and asked him if she'd be able to interview him about his experience for an article in the newspaper. It took some convincing, but Goldstein was able to convince Ernest to agree to the interview under the promise that his last name would not be made public. Oh, Okay. Which is why we don't know it. You do you, Ernest, whatever helps you sleep at night. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's just really a diva move. It's like Madonna, it's like Cher, who else? Brandy, Monica, Brandy. <laughs> Maya, Aaliyah. I, I mean, yeah. But we could really just stop it at Brandy, because the diva train stops there. Totally. So, Ernest had the interview with Lori, and during the process of, like, putting the article together, Ernest was accompanied by some staff from the Sun, and returned to the location of the strange sighting that he experienced in March of 1979. So, we when they entered through into the tunnel the second time with the staff, together they found the corpse of a cat which was half buried in the tunnel. Now, this was not the corpse of the kitten that had gone missing, but of another cat. And this discovery actually reminded Ernest. He was like, yo, wait a minute. I remember hearing strange noises like animals in pain coming from the tunnel a few nights prior to my encounter. Mm. So people thought this was kind of interesting. But then after that, after they kind of examined this cat, Ernest then showed the Sun reporter exactly where he had seen the strange being. He stated, The last I saw the creature, it was heading off into the darkness. The passage seemed to drop down very quickly and go a long way. So it was speculated that the tunnel, in fact, led to sewer systems and that the entranceway beside Ernest's apartment was an access point used by the creature to come to the surface. Mm -hmm. As the story began to hit, safety concerns prompted the Toronto Sewer Department to thoroughly inspect the tunnels, as it was feared that the area may attract children to go and investigate.
0: Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. like Stranger Things kind of shit. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Those little (laughs) jam-handed kids can't keep their mitts off anything.
4: Exactly right. They're like, ooh, I want to go into the Upside Down. Let's do it. Monsters, I'm there. They're like,
0: I want to meet a smack-talking sewer Ewok
4: too. Yeah, mama. So Ernest's story is very strange, but when the sewer employees heard about it, they didn't really, like, ridicule it or really find it that strange. They're like, oh, that's Barry. <laughs> kind of, exactly, yeah. One worker was quoted in the paper article stating, people who work on the surface just don't know what it's like down there. It's a whole different world. Who would have thought that a few years ago that people would be living in sewers, and yet they found some in New York a few years back. Another worker was quoted as saying, I don't know what Ernest saw down there, but I'll tell you one thing. If I could get in there, I sure as hell wouldn't want to go down alone. And these are sewer workers mama. fuck. Oh. Yeah. Some brave unsung heroes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the article was released. It got quite a bit of attention, but there had never been any other accounts of any kind of experiences like Ernest's. Goldstein, the reporter, had been asked many years later about the case, and then she admits that she can't quite remember where the entrance to the tunnel was before it was covered over by sewer workers. So it became virtually impossible to trace back. And with only a first name of the person who experienced all this, it just makes the story, like, really difficult to pinpoint. That is so
0: fucked up. And, like, what do sewer workers know that we don't know? Like, are they harboring fucking chupacabras down there? Like, what kind of cryptid shit is happening underneath our feet right now?
4: Right, Mama? Well, you want to get into it? Because we can get into it. Yeah, lay it on me. Okay, so there are really kind of, like, three main theories of what this could be. Outside of something like, you know, a raccoon, another human being, or a monkey, which is also like a thing, because if you can remember the Ikea monkey, that cute little monkey in a coat, that was at a Toronto Ikea. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, it was in like North York. Oh my God. Yeah, you remember the Ikea monkey? Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I mean, fill us in. Okay, well, it was just a monkey that was like randomly loose in Ikea about like five or so years ago. Mm -hmm. We'll post a picture on Instagram. It's pretty cute. Yeah, we'll educate
0: y'all. Yeah. But that still doesn't make up for the conversation.
4: Yeah, no these are just some plausible theories that people made, like well, maybe it was a raccoon. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was a monkey. But a lot of people think that maybe it was this creature called the Maymay Gwaisi. Who is she? So the Maymay Gwesi are small water spirits. They're usually said to inhabit rivers or
0: riverbanks in Algonquin mythology. Okay, so it's an indigenous legend?
4: Yes, exactly. And for anybody who doesn't know, the Algonquin are one of Canada's many, many First Nations tribes who inhabited Toronto long before the white people waltzed in, stole their land, murdered their people, and destroyed their culture. And then built condos everywhere. Yes. So anyway, as I said, the Meme Gwaisis are small, riverbank dwelling water spirits. They are considered to be pretty benign creatures, I suppose kind of like akin to fairies, trolls, leprechauns, that
0: same ilk. And that's why it was just like, get away from me, instead of like, coming at him or something <laughs> exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. It was, I love that. Yeah, it wasn't there to fight. I love a pacifist monster. Yeah, me too. Too. That's my vibe.
4: Though as passive as they may be, they are known to wreak havoc when they are not shown proper
0: respect. So if he had, like, kept walking toward him and was like, no, 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 I want to talk. Yeah, it might have tried to fuck some shit up. Tell me the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. But wait a minute. Y'all might be like, Tyler, they are river-dwelling creatures, so why would they be underground? Mm-hmm. hmm Well, fun fact. The city of Toronto once had numerous streams and waterways, and in fact, it's still does. So stopping a natural flowing body of water is not very easy. So rather than trying to reroute these rivers and streams, they essentially just built on top of them. So they created these like pathways, these infrastructures that allowed the water to flow freely and kind of connect with the sewer systems. So underneath the city, there are just a lot of bodies of water that are just constantly streaming. Oh wow. Which means there are actually a lot of inaccessible tunnels beneath the city that aren't open to the public. Mm-hmm. So lots of tunnel ways. There are even some tunnel ways that lead between old buildings around the city. I think there's even an abandoned or like unused level of transit like underground subway transit like a subway station Mm -hmm. that's just abandoned underground that was just like an abandoned project so there's like a lot of shit going on beneath this city mama. Girl. Yeah. Infrastructure for the Chupacabra settlement. That is it. So anyway because of these river systems being buried underneath it is possible that the Meimegueci are still living around the riverbanks but now underground. Mm -hmm. And then it's like if they are living underground what has this like subterranean environment
0: done to them over the years. Oh my god, maybe they're bioluminescent. Right? Who knows? Yeah, they're like those light-emitting cave bugs. Yes! That's so Planet Earth meets never-ending Story. I love it. Right? So, <laughs> some people
4: believe the Memeigwecy theory... Others have some other ideas of what might be going on underneath Toronto, and that is Aliens Mama. Oh girl, Mm -hmm. we're here. Yep. So some people have theorized that perhaps the creature Ernest encountered in the tunnel was in fact an alien. Mm -hmm. So there have been rumors for quite some time that there is an alien base located underneath Lake Ontario and that many of the tunnels underneath the city lead to this UFO hideaway and provide discrete pathways for extraterrestrials to move in and out without being
0: detected. Oh my God, that's why I got an infection when I swam in it that fucking time, remember? Alien parasite. Oh my God, yeah. I had a cut on my leg and I had like red veins like fucking Coming out from that area after I swam in the water off Toronto Island for, like, an hour once. Yeah. Oh, my God. Aliens are inside my body. Maybe, Mom. You might be Uh, an alien right now. Who are you? I'm pregnant. (laughs) With an alien. alien. That explains so much. It does. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah. Take me. I'm ready.
4: (laughs) Well, alien parasites aside, it is also a rumor that certain areas of the city are more highly charged with magnetic energy, which Mm -hmm. results in a higher accident rate in those parts of the city. That sounds a little bit shady. Yeah, that sounds like a real great excuse for fucking up your Prius. (laughs) Exactly right. Or just like maybe some bad infrastructures. It's like, ugh, we didn't do as good of a job on that intersection as we could. Alien magnetic waves.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, the loop-de-loop around Queens Park, that's aliens. That's not a fucked up road system. No, aliens.
4: And yeah, this legend of the UFO base hiding beneath Lake Ontario arose from some sightings of strange lights that sometimes hovered above or around the lake. However, some people explain these lights as just the fact that the area around the lake over the years has been developing rapidly. So lights that were once not there are now all of a sudden there because they're new infrastructures, new homes new places being
0: built. Yeah, it's hard to get pitch black in downtown Toronto.
4: Exactly, yeah. And even though it is a big lake, on a clear day, you really can see faintly across from it. So a lot of people believe that it could just be like light reflecting off the water, off the sky in really weird ways that are tricking people's eyes.
0: Well, yeah, we used to live on the other side of the lake. Like before we moved to Toronto, you could see Toronto on a clear day.
4: Yeah, yeah, you could totally see all the buildings and things like that. So that's totally plausible, easy to explain. Yeah, we've definitely heard this concept before. There is a popular conspiracy theorist who goes by the pen name Commander X. Ugh.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can smell the Axe body spray now.
4: Yeah. So he wrote a book describing multiple alleged alien bases all over the world, many of them being underneath huge bodies of water, and Lake Ontario is one of the ones that he cites. But Commander X's bibliography is pretty sensational and definitely conspiratorial. His name is Commander X, or their name is Commander X. Yeah, it sounds really grounded. But in any case, the UFO-based urban legend has led some to speculate that the tunnel monster is actually of alien origin, or perhaps even an alien experiment. Hmm. So, there is another theory as to what this creature could be, and Johnny, you've been teasing it this whole entire time. One of my favorite mythical creatures in the world, the Chupacabra. Really?
0: Yes. Oh, my god, I'm psychic. You are. It's the alien pregnancy. Yeah, it's the alien parasite. You're right, you're Mm -hmm. right. Yeah.
4: So, if not an alien, there are other explanations as to what the creature could have been. It's actually interesting to note that the description of the creature provided by Ernest and an artist's rendering, which was included in the original Toronto Sun article, which we will share on Instagram, resembles some current reports of the South
0: American chupacabra. Girl. Mm -hmm. We do have an internet National Airport. We do. Maybe it came over on a flight. Maybe they took that 747 bus to the Pearson. Who
4: knows? You never know, Mama.
0: Come on. So
4: if you don't know what the chubacabra is, in South America, Puerto Rico, and parts of the United States, they are mythical creatures who roam the countryside. They are meat-eating monsters that typically go after livestock, such as cattle, chickens, goats, and even family pets. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: Many of the animals that have fallen victim to the chupacabra attacks are often drained of all of their blood with two small round bite marks somewhere on their body. But their nails are done. But their nails are done.
0: Every time. French tips without
4: fail. Yeah, hard acrylics, spare no expense. Love it. So the chupacabras are described as being approximately three feet in length, And they typically have red eyes, just like the tunnel monster. Mm -hmm. And although they're usually known to have hairless, leathery skin, there are a few stories of chupacabras that have scales, wings, or fur. Furthermore, it could also be possible that the chupacabras living as far north as Toronto keep their fur, considering how
0: cold Canada is in the winter. It's the northern Arctic chupacabra. That's it. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the snow chupacabra. The snow chupacabra. We know her well. Yeah, we do. Her name is Celine Dion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm kidding. I love
4: Celine. We love Celine. She's wild, though. I know. I mean, she's got Chupacabra energy
0: coming through. (laughs) She's got big Chupacabra energy for days. For
4: sure. So, it is possible that the tunnel monster could be a Chupacabra or at least a genetic cousin, such as the, and now I couldn't find the exact pronunciation of this, so hopefully I'm doing it correctly, the Omagenakus. So, the Omojanakus is the name of another mythical beast. Omojanakus in English literally translate to the ugly one, and it is a monster that was frequently seen 40 or so years ago, which would line up pretty correctly with the timeline in which Ernest experienced the tunnel monster.
0: I finally understand my childhood nickname.
4: All these years later. I know, yeah, yeah. finally. And I home. bet you they just told you it meant pretty baby. Yeah, all these years. So, with these similarities. The Imaginacus is a prime tunnel monster suspect, although there are notable differences. So, Imaginakus are definitely furry and have large teeth, but they also have a bald face and are far shorter than the three-foot monster seen in 1979. Oh, yeah? Though some believe that maybe just by the perspective of being in the tunnel in an enclosed space in the dark, the creature may have looked bigger than it actually was. Totally. Leave it to a man. Yes. So, Imaginakus are river-dwelling creatures. That vaguely resemble a mix between a beaver and an otter, and that sounds so cute skinny face? Little skinny faces. Little skinless, hairless faces. Skinless? Wait, hairless? Yeah. Sorry. So again, the Imaginakus have not been really experienced very often, but in 2010, a corpse of an Imaginakus was reportedly found washed up on a shore along the Hudson Bay. As the creatures are scarcely reported, they hadn't been for decades. Many elders in the area believed that the sudden appearance of the dead Imogenacus was a bad omen for the times to come. It had actually been too nurses that discovered the carcass after their dog had pulled it from the river during a hike Ooh. Mm-hmm. so the women looked at the creature long enough to take a picture and be thoroughly disgusted, it but after that they nudged it back into the river thinking it was just some ordinary woodland creature who met an unfortunate end so they found this weird corpse took a picture of
0: it and then sent it back up river great and then bad luck befalls Toronto right is this shortly before Rob Ford was elected well 2010 so sounds about right sounds about right if not we're paying for it with fucking Doug Ford now yes mama the curse continues
4: <sighs> so it wasn't until these pictures were shared that it was speculated that perhaps this creature was a little more out of the ordinary so people were like oh my god it's a Majinakus so based on the pictures the women had taken many experts have suggested it was perhaps a muskrat although the teeth were not characteristic of a muskrat and I'll just point out we will share this picture on
0: social media as well really Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I want to see it Do you want to see it right now uh, I guess. Am I gonna be able to eat my post show Cheetos after this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, this was the picture that the nurses took. What the fuck?
4: (laughs) Right? What the fuck? It literally doesn't look like anything in this world. Oh, no, it looks like a pig badger. It does. Like a warthog. Yeah, it looks like this weird warthog thing. So, you know. Yeah, the idea of a beaver and an otter being combined together sounds cute, but if this is it, mama. No. It's not cute. No, she's not winning any pageants. No. No, man. Some speculated that it was a muskrat. The teeth didn't really look like that of a muskrat. So others thought that maybe it was the remains of a baby bear that was badly decomposed by the water. But why didn't it have fur on its face?
0: Yeah
4: right? That's not a bear, that's a hell pig. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So the similarities are just way too weird and it looks way too intense to be some kind of hoax and like, if it was a hoax, if it was something that somebody planted there, like, what are the chances they're basically in
0: the middle of nowhere? Mm, yeah, I don't like that photo. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get flagged on Instagram for sure. <laughs> right? Oh, fuck. Beware. Ugh. But maybe the Ikea monkey
4: will make up for it.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Can you show me the Ikea monkey? I oh, know. we'll do it after the show whatever okay
4: so basically here are our theories what did ernest encounter did ernest encounter uh mama Gwesi? did ernest encounter an alien Did Ernest encounter a chupacabra? Did Ernest encounter a umogenocus? Or did Ernest encounter the Ikea monkey? It's really kind of up to you to speculate. Nobody's ever going to know. Ernest has never spoken about it, and no one has ever seen the creature since. And that
0: is the Toronto Tunnel Monster. Thank you. I hate it. You're so welcome. (laughs) That is so unsolved. That is so close to our home. I will never walk the dog on Parliament Street (laughs) ever again. Right, holy fuck! Athlete would love sticking his nose in holes. Yeah, and he loves <laughs> Parliament Street. He does. Oh my god! Oh, this changes everything. Mm-hmm. Oh no, God! All right, well, good one, Tyler. Thanks. You yeah, under my fucking skin. Our first monster story. Yeah, it's almost as if he did the monster that lives in our fucking closet.
4: Basically, yeah. I mean, when I was researching, just scouring the internet, and I saw this, I was like, Toronto Tunnel Monster. I've never heard of this. I need to do this. I need to know her. I did, and now that I know her, I don't want to know her.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope it's dead. All right, well, we're at that point of the show that we love getting to. I ask you the age-old question, Tyler, what did you learn this week? I guess this week
4: I've learned that if you've somehow inherited a beautiful, lush, pink couch that was once owned by Mae West— it is an absolute offense to put it in a goddamn haunted basement. Love it. Not
0: having it. Mhm. Yes, thank you. We need to respect our divas, please and thanks. Yes. Johnny, what have you learned this week? Well, I would have to say that this week I learned the power of sharing secrets. Tell a person who's a hell of a lot younger than you what's gone on in your life. Have you seen a monster? Give someone the info. If you don't want to spill the tea while you're here on Earth, totally cool. But at least give us the info so years later we can at least know the facts. That's it. Mark Twain that shit. Like when Mark Twain was alive, he wrote a book
4: and he was like, this book cannot be published until a hundred years after i'm dead yeah because he was talking a lot of smack about a lot of people and he was like i'm gonna be dead they're gonna
0: be dead here's the tea totally yeah it's a new day start a shit list lock it in a vault live your life mark twain style so, thank you everyone for joining us this week. We really appreciate it, as always. Now, if you're enjoying the show and you want to be able to access some bonus content, you can sign up at patreon.com slash spooky. There's also a link that you can click in the episode description. We have too many episodes out so far. The first one's about Tyler and Mai's own personal paranormal experiences, and the second one is in the format that the rest of them will be in, just kind of bite-sized stories that couldn't fit on the main show, but it's kind of like a 30 to 40-minute version of the main show. Yeah. So in mini episode number two, we're talking about a super popular occult hotspot and a barnyard ghost. That's all I'm going to tell you. And if you don't, that's totally cool. In fact, you can show support for the show 100% free just by going on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leaving us a review and a five-star rating and helps us get the word out about the podcast. Yes. Get that word out, honey. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're
4: loving the podcast and you want to have some visual content to accompany what you're hearing, you can always head over to our Instagram where we post pictures related to our episodes and also a lot of fun other stuff. And that's at That's Spooky Pod on
0: Instagram. That's T-H-A-T-S-S-P-O-O-K-Y-P-O-D. And we're also on Twitter under That Spooky Pod as well. You can also go to That's Spooky.com and get show notes, listen to episodes, look at pictures from today's episode, everything in one spot
4: it's great it's cute and then if that's not enough and you want to share one of your own spooky stories or you just want to email us and say hello you can send us an email at that's spooky at gmail.com
0: yeah spelled just like in the twitter and the instagram so thanks again everyone we love you very much kissy kisses and don't forget if you're going to be a bitch be a spooky bitch. Bye. Bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
1: If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin' Podcast Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on The Mr. Ballin' Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust... After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them. But after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin' Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.